So 15 years, y'all are serious. Y'all plan on taking over the town. All right? Congratulations. Happy to be here celebrating with you. Give honor to your pastor and your pastor's wife. Standing the test of time. Maybe the greatest test is standing the test of time. You know, during that time, you have various tests. Battles, challenges, demons show up, deacons full of demons, <laughs> elders full of the devil, church members gone crazy. You know, there's a show, Church Members Gone Crazy. I'm going to start a new television show. <laughs> it's going to be the best reality TV you've ever seen. So if you can stand the test of time with all those things going on through the years, then you truly are a mighty man and a mighty woman of valor. So let's give your pastors a hand clap. Bless you guys. We love you, Dan. Love you, Laura. And uh, we're happy to get to hang out with them. They come up to Seattle every now and then and uh, check out the cool weather. We have fresh air in Seattle. You can breathe in Seattle. And uh, we even had a little sunshine for them last time they came up. And that was great. And... Uh, part of our, our ministry. We love to come down here and be part of your ministry. We feel like we're not visitors. We're part of the family, right? So thanks for having us, and uh, congratulations on 15 years. Now, 15 years is awesome. It's above average. It, it's uh, it's, it's uh, great, but it's only a beginning, isn't it? And we have more vision than we do memory. Our, our windshield is bigger than our rearview mirror. Right? Is that true for you? We have more vision than we do memory. We, there's more ahead of us than there is behind us. How do you know you're old? You know you're old when your memories are stronger than your vision. You know you're old when you look back more than you look forward. You know you're old when your good old days are more exciting than your future. You know, when you're old, the good old days are really good. And when we were there, they weren't that good, but you know, your memories make them good. But we have more vision than we do memories. We have more tomorrows than we do yesterdays. And that makes church exciting. And uh, so we're going to keep reaching people. We're going to keep multiplying services. Hope you all are ready. We need, we need some, new, uh, some new leaders in every area because we're going to keep multiplying services and doing church in new ways. So hang on to your hat because there's new stuff coming. You ready? You ready for it? Okay, we'll find out. Look with me in Genesis Chapter 17. In Genesis 17, Abram was 99 years old. 90, think about that. 99 years old. You've seen some stuff. You've been through some stuff. Right? You, you've stood the test of time, right? You've been around a while, 99. And God spoke to Abram when he was 75. 
and he left his father, left his father's house, left everything that he knew, left his country, left every friend that he had, and him and Sarah went to the promised land, went to a land that God would show them. So he's 75 years old. God says, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make your name great. And he heads off to a new place. And uh, boy, that was a step of faith, wasn't it? Leaving everything behind. You know, for you and I, it's like leaving maybe an old church tradition behind. Maybe family who don't walk with God or don't like us walking with God. And so we say, all right, I'm just going to go anyway. And uh, we leave those things behind and we press on to what God has before. So he was 75 when he started. Now he'd prospered. He'd been blessed in many ways. But he hadn't received that son, which was the key to the future that God had promised him. So now he's 99. It's been almost 25 years. Now, you know, you and I get nervous when 25 days go by. And, the, you know, the promise of the Lord has, we would have, 25 days, Lord, what do you want? You're leaving me out here hanging. I'm dying out here. Right? We get, we get, you know, 25 months is a long time for us. Right? We want change. We're very patient as long as it happens quickly. Right? God, give me patience and I need it now. So we get in a hurry and we want stuff to happen. So he's, he's been waiting for 25 years. Had some ups and downs during those 25 years. Had some bad days during those 25. Made some mistakes. You know, one thing you read about God's guys in the Bible, that none of them were perfect. None of them. Abram made some mistakes. David made some mistakes. Every one of them made some mistakes. And the Lord doesn't call perfect people, so you and I are in. Right? So he's had his ups and his downs, but he's staying connected with God. He's walking by faith. And verse 5, God says, No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I've made you a father of many nations. Now, he still doesn't have the son of promise. But God says, I'm calling you the father of many nations. I'll make you exceedingly fruitful. I'll make nations of you. Kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you in their generations. Now, go to 15, verse 15. Then God said to Abraham... As for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. And I will bless her and also give you a son by her. And I will bless her and she shall be a mother of nation. Kings of peoples shall be from her. Now, you would think Abraham said, yes, amen. But look what it says in verse 17. Abraham fell on his face and laughed. What? You can't laugh. You can't laugh at God. And of course, later it says that Sarah heard the angel say that she was going to have a child, and she laughed. Now, 
we could interpret this in various ways. But you know what I see in this? At 100 years old, he's still alive. He's still excited. He's still engaged. He's still amazed by the promises of God. How many people at 100 years old are still laughing? Most of the 100-year-old folks that I know are, you know, looking for a cane. But Abraham's laughing. He goes, all right, God. I don't think he was laughing in unbelief. I think he's laughing like, this is going to be great. I mean, it was amazing when I was 75. It's getting funny now that I'm 100. And my Viagra has run out. But God is... Why doesn't God do it quicker? How come God takes his time? He needs to check my calendar more often. I don't think God has a watch, nor a calendar. I think he just says, here's the way it's going to be, and then he doesn't sweat it. He works it out on his schedule. And all the challenges along the way work for our good, don't they? You know what's really a bummer? I don't like this. This, this is not fun. The good days don't make us better. On the good days, we just party. We're like, yeah, I'm cool. It's all good. Praise the Lord. It's those hard days that we get better. We're praying. We're reading our Bible. What do I need to change, Lord? So God's got to give us time to go through the good days and the hard days but his will never changes. His plan never changes. The purposes of God never change. And so he's helping us change, isn't he? He's helping us get where he needs us to be. And I think he's been doing that with your pastors. I know that recently your church changed to a new position, a new place in the community, a new identity, love, life, church, and maybe in the spirit. God made a shift in your pastors, enlarging their heart, enlarging their life, enlarging their vision, a change in them to a new season and a new day. Maybe that's a prophetic word and time for you and your church. And I hope you'll see them growing, changing, larger, moving forward. You know, I wonder what the neighbors did. I wonder what the servants did. I wonder what the folks did when Sarah started calling him Abraham. Abraham? I thought his name was Abram. No, the Lord spoke to us, and his name is now Abraham. They probably said to each other, they're going crazy now. The, the old people. The old people are losing it. He still think, She still thinks she's going to get pregnant. Well, I hope you buy into the vision and get in agreement because it's coming to pass. Everybody say, it's coming to pass. Let's stretch our hands out toward our pastors tonight, Dan and Laura. Father, we believe this prophetic word for love, life, church, for the pastors of this ministry. We believe the change, the, the shift in the spirit, the enlarging of their vision, enlarging of their heart, enlarging of their capacity is taking place that we believe we're entering in to a time of growth and increase and blessing. 
You are establishing your covenant. You're bringing your promises to pass. This church is fulfilling the vision, the mission, the purposes of God. We pray blessing and increase into their lives and into every member, every part of this ministry in the name of Jesus. Everybody said amen. If you believe it, give the Lord a hand clap. Amen. I want to give you three essentials to walking that word out. Three steps to bringing that word to pass. Not that you make it happen, but God works with us to make it happen. God needs people. God needs you to get in agreement and follow these three essentials so His word can be made flesh in the earth. Just like God used Abraham and all the other men and women of Scripture, He wants to use you in your family, in your church, in your community. And it takes these three essentials for that word to be made flesh and come to pass in your life, just like it was in Abraham's life. And let's go to the New Testament and read about it in Romans chapter 4. Here, Paul's writing about Abraham, who we're just reading about. And in verse 1, he says, What shall we say that Abraham, our father, has found? Verse 3, Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Verse 16, Therefore it is of faith that it might be according to grace, so that the promise might be sure to all the seed, not only to those who are of the law or the Jews, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. So Abraham found that he couldn't walk with God in his flesh or by the law. He had to walk with God by faith. He believed God. When Abraham started walking with God, there was no commandments. There was no priesthood. There was no temple or tabernacle. There was no law to obey. He just believed God. And that started it. That began what you and I are now a part of. We walk with God by faith so that it can be by grace and it can be available to all who will believe. That's why Abraham is the father of our faith. So the first essential is faith in God. Faith in what God says. Faith in God's Word. If we're going to see God's plan come to pass in our life, it won't be by accident. It will be because we believe God. We walk by faith. So, have you decided? Have you, on purpose, used your faith? Well, you say, I'm a Christian, of course. I, I, I prayed. I prayed the prayer. I said, Jesus, you're my Lord. So, I, I, I use my faith. But daily, in the various challenges and circumstances of life, do you 
use your faith on purpose. You know, it's like the person that was sick and feeling terrible and, and having all kinds of symptoms. And, and, you know, three days went by and they said, gee, maybe I should pray. Right? Do you use your faith on purpose? Or is faith something reserved for when all else fails? I went to the doctor. I tried the medicine. I took Aunt Beulah's home remedy. I tried everything I could think of, and I wasn't getting any better. So maybe we should pray about it. Abraham believed God. You and I have to decide to use our faith on purpose. We pray for our marriage to stay strong, happy, and healthy. We pray for our kids to walk with God, serve God, and obey God. We pray for our job, for our career, for finances. We don't live in stress and anxiety and worry because we use our faith on purpose. It's pretty quiet in here tonight. <laughs> Better just turn and tell your neighbor. I think he's talking to you right now. Just turn and tell him. I think he's talking to you. Turn back a couple pages to Romans chapter 1. Romans 1 and verse 16. I'm not ashamed. Get your iPad flipped over there or your Android or your Crackberry or something. Get something with the Bible on it. I got old school. I still got leather and paper. I also have my iPhone. But are you there? Romans 1 16. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. The Jew first, also the Greek. In it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. Now notice, the gospel is not the power of God for everyone. That's not what it said. He said the gospel is the power of God for everyone who believes. Well, I've never seen God do anything in my life. Well, you've probably not believed. Or at least not believed consistently. You know, some folks try God for a day or two. Then if nothing happens, then they give up. Most people will try their medicine longer than they'll try faith in God. Right, the doctor said, you've got to take this every day for six weeks. And, and then you'll start, you know, getting better. You'll start uh, clearing the virus or overcoming the infection or whatever happens. So we know it's going to be at least six weeks. So we do it because that's what they said. And we stay faithful to it because we believe it. How many folks will do that with the Lord? I'm going to use my faith on purpose every day for six weeks or six months or six years or whatever it takes because I believe the gospel is the power of God to everyone who believes. Power for salvation, power for healing, power for prosperity, power for happy marriage, power for overcoming sin. It's the power to win in life. It's the power to walk in the blessing. Pastor talking about blessed in all things. That's the power to walk in the blessing in all things. Everybody say, I'm blessed in all things. It's not the power for everybody. 
right? We know a lot of Christians, they're, they're saved, but their lives are powerless. Why? Because they're not using their faith on purpose. The gospel is the power of God to those who believe. Now, if you believe in salvation, you get the power for... Do you believe in healing? Do you believe in prosperity? Do you believe in the peace that passes understanding? Do you believe in God's power in your home, your marriage, your children, your family? See, wherever you'll use your faith, that power will be released. Where, where are you using your faith? Now, what happens with many of us? We start with God by faith, but then we get smart. And we think we can kind of stay with God intellectually. We start by faith, but then we think we can walk with our great depth of wisdom and knowledge. We start knowing some things. That's when we start sounding very spiritual when we come to church. Right? We get really religious. We, we start making judgments about the church. We, we start having attitudes about things because we know some stuff. We've been around. But the Bible didn't say start by faith and end in works. It didn't say start by faith and end in intellectualism. It said from faith to faith. Look at it right there in Romans 1.17. From faith to faith. From faith to faith to faith to faith to faith to faith. I can never stop using my faith. No matter how much I know, I still got to use my faith. No matter how much I've experienced, still got to use my faith. No matter how long I've been walking with the Lord, it still comes down to using my faith on purpose. Because the just shall live by faith. Isn't that an amazing statement? We don't survive by faith. We don't just get by by faith. We live by faith. We don't just hang on until we get to heaven. We live abundant life. The God kind of life. Blessed life by faith. So if we're going to follow the faith of Abraham, we've got to use our faith on purpose. If you believe God for salvation, you can use faith in the same way for healing. Faith in the same way for that job that you're looking for. Faith in the same way for a career or for finances. Faith in the same way for your family or your marriage. Remember Romans 10, 9 and 10. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. All right? Well, that's faith. Confess with your mouth, believe in your heart. That's faith. But it works the same in every realm. If you'll confess with your mouth, Jesus is my healer, Believe in your heart he bore your sickness and disease. you get healed. Well, I prayed for healing and nothing happened. Did you use your faith on purpose? Believe in your heart. Say it with your mouth. A lot of times people pray for healing and then they say, well, I don't feel any better. Well, what are you confessing? What are you saying? What are you doing with your faith? Just like your salvation. You didn't feel saved. You as ugly as you ever were. Broke as you ever were, but you said, I'm a Christian. I got saved. I made Jesus Lord. You believed in your heart. You said it with your mouth. Well, do that for healing. Believe in your heart. Say with your mouth, I believe I'm healed. 
gosh, you don't look very good. I don't care. I believe. I'm healed. All right? Let's do that for finances. I believe in my heart God meets all my needs according to his riches and glory. I'm saved with my mouth. All my needs are met. Right? Your brother keeps saying, I can't find a job. And what do you say? I believe all my needs are met. God blesses my life with abundance. I'm prospering in the name of Jesus. Huh? I believe it in my heart. Say it with my mouth. Why? Because I'm using my faith on purpose. My wife and I are happy. We walk in unity, harmony, love. Now, you may have some battles. You may have some challenges. Every marriage does. But we use our faith on purpose. We don't say, he's hard-headed. He ain't never going to change. Right? If that's what you're believing in your heart, saying with your mouth, that's what you get. And then when he never changes, I knew he'd never change. Are you kidding me? You prophesied it. You believed it. Right? We have to decide, I'm going to use my faith on purpose. I go to Hebrews chapter 11. I know this is old school stuff, but this is good, isn't it? This is the kind of meat and potatoes we got to live on. This is how you're going to get there. This is how you're going to see that blessed life. Hebrews 11 and verse 1 says, Faith is the substance of what you're hoping for. What are you hoping for? You're hoping for a healthy life. You're hoping for a great marriage. You're hoping for a new career hoping for a new home, hoping for your church to grow in certain ways, certain areas. Your hopes are your visions, aren't they? Your hopes are your dreams. Your your hope is what you see for tomorrow. It's your anointed imagination. When you think, when God's working in my life, this is what tomorrow's going to be like. I'm going to have that marriage I want. I'm going to have that career I want. I'm going, to, I'm going to see the fruit in my church and in my ministry. Your hopes are your dreams. They're your vision of tomorrow. They're your desire for the future. So faith gives substance to the second essential vision. Faith is where we start. And that starts producing substance for the things you hope for, for the things you see for tomorrow, for the vision that you have for your life. Without faith, visions never come to pass. Hopes are never fulfilled. We all know people who have had hopes and dreams that they died having not seen the fulfillment. Abraham believed God, so his vision, his hope for a son came to pass. Isaac was born. What's your hope? Faith is the substance of what you're hoping for. What's your dream? What's your desire? When you close your eyes, what do you see? I see more with my eyes closed than I do with my eyes open. Sometimes I go to church, and maybe it's a Wednesday night, and all of our seats aren't full, so I close my eyes, because I see them all full. That's my hope. That's my vision. That's my dream. 
Sometimes my children don't act like anointed children. <laughs> they act like crazy children. That's what I say. They must be Wendy's kids. <laughs> right? That's what we say to our spouse, right? Would you go talk to your kids? Your kids are crazy. No, I don't say that out loud. I'm just thinking. Because I'm using my faith on purpose. But sometimes I don't see the kind of results or the kind of fruit that I want in my family. But when I close my eyes, I have a vision. I have a dream. I have a hope of a godly family. Godly marriage, unity, harmony, blessed life in my family. Maybe I'm not working at the job that I really want. I'm working right now to pay the bills, to, to get things moving, to get through college or to get through this season. But when I close my eyes, I see the career and I see the calling and I see the job that I really have a dream for, a desire for. Faith gives substance to your hopes. So let's build those hopes and use our faith on purpose. The first essential is hope. The second, I mean, is faith. The second essential is hope or vision. Now, where there is no vision, you know the answer. Where there is no vision, what happens? The Bible said people perish. Old King James, where there's no vision, people perish. The New King James says, where there is no vision, People are scattered, or the Hebrew text says, wander about as sheep without a shepherd. Your vision keeps you motivated, keeps you moving. Uh, I always use the example, my kids were young, you know, especially the boys, they didn't care about combing their hair and taking showers. They were just boys. They just wanted to play and they just wanted to run around and you know, mom would say, put some clean clothes on him, especially one of my boys. They'd be like, why? I've only wore this for three days. <laughs> he would wear the same clothes for a month if we let him, right? But then he got a new vision. One day, I don't know, he was 13 or 14 or somewhere, he started noticing girls. <laughs> and was like, I can see. And immediately, his motivation changed. I mean, he's up early. He's in the bathroom drying his hair. He's putting mousse, gel. He's got more product in his hair than a hair salon has. He's, all, he's coming, Dad, how does this look? Do these fit right? I'm like, what happened to you? New vision. Vision creates motivation. See, when you say, well, I don't have time to pray and I don't really have time to read my Bible, what you're telling me is you don't have enough vision to move you to the things of God so that you stay empowered using your faith on purpose. So you get kind of slack and kind of lax and like, I don't know. Where there is no vision, people watch a lot of TV. Huh? What happens, okay, I don't mean to be harsh or make a negative example, but you, you can all relate to this. You've, maybe you've done it, or you've had a friend that went through a divorce. What happens to that 
person after the divorce, several things happen. One, they start losing weight. They start working out. They get a new haircut. They get a new hair color. They start shopping in new places. What happens? Everything changes because now they're thinking about their future. Now they're thinking about finding a new life partner. Now they're thinking about making changes. What happened? A new vision. Well, why didn't you get that before the disaster? Why wait? Well, it's human nature. We put things off, we get distracted, we get lazy, and then we get into our habit of laziness. But if you'll keep a clear vision, it'll get you up early and cause you to do those push-ups and sit-ups. It'll give you the energy to read your Bible and pray. It'll give you the motivation to speak the Word of God out loud and use your faith on purpose. Why? Because you've got places to go, things to do. You've got a vision. You've got a dream. You're on your way somewhere. If all you're doing is sitting around eating more ribs, you've got no vision. All you can see is a menu. Where there is no vision, people wander, people stagnate, people struggle. But vision is motivation. Vision is drive. Vision will move you to the things of God. Some people say, God wants me to die to my dreams. No, God gave you those dreams. Psalm 37 and verse 4 said, Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. What does that mean? He puts desires in you. That's how He motivates us. That's how He guides us. How can one person desires something totally different than another person? Because God gave them those desires. God gave one person the desire to be a teacher, and another person is like, Please, I don't want anything to do with that. But you have a desire for business. Some of you love to sell stuff, and the other person is like, are you kidding? Salesmen drive me crazy. What's the difference? The desire that God put in your heart. God doesn't want you to die to all of your desires. He just wants you to get them motivated for the right reasons. He wants you to use it for His glory. He wants you to have a purpose that's in the kingdom of God, not just in yourself. But God uses desire hope and vision and dream to make us the people that he wants us to be. One of our most famous leaders in America is famous for one statement. I have a dream. And Martin Luther King impacted our world with one statement. I have a dream. Do you have a dream? of a great family, a dream, of a great church, a dream of a successful career, a dream of blessed kids, a dream of a life that's meaningful to God, that dream will move you, will motivate you, and will keep you on course until it and as it comes to pass. Look back in the life of Abraham. Genesis chapter 13. Got your Bible? iPhone, iPad, Android. 
Genesis 13. Are you on, on the Android there, bro? Google? You can, you can Google that. Don't even read your Bible. Just Google it. <laughs> it's, good, it's good stuff, isn't it? You have 27 versions right in one little phone. Genesis chapter 13. Verse 14 says, After Lot had gone, that's an interesting thing, isn't it, Dan? After Lot had gone. Remember, Lot was there for a hidden agenda. He wasn't walking with God. He didn't have faith in God. He headed off to Sodom. He ended up negotiating his girls away. I mean, this guy had some issues. And God couldn't do some things with Abram until Lot was gone. It's interesting. The name Lot means veil. It always reminds me of the guy with a hidden agenda. He's got a veil. He's got a, he's got a hidden agenda. I can't see what's really going on with him. And God said, we got to get rid of Lot so we can get on with what I've got for Abraham. So after Lot had gone, the Lord said to Abram, lift up your eyes. That's the King James. In the New Living it says, look as far as you can see in every direction. North, south, east, and west. I'm giving all this land as far as you can see to you and your descendants. Look as far as you can see. Stretch out your vision. Lift up your eyes. What's God doing with Abraham? He's getting his eyes off of that down, just looking where he is right now. And he's getting him thinking about a family that fills the lands as far as he can see. He's giving him a vision. Because your vision is your future. Where there is no vision, people perish. Where there's great vision, people believe God and do great things. So lift up your eyes. Stop looking down. Don't just see where you are now. Look at what God could do. Look at what could happen in your life, in your family, in your business, in your ministry. Lift up your eyes. Now, Abram goes on, walking with God. He's believing God. He's using his faith. But as time, as years go by, he gets down like all of us. He gets discouraged. He starts wondering, Lord, when's it going to happen? Lord, it's a lot harder than I thought it was going to be. I mean, when you spoke to me, I was thinking like the next day it would come to pass. It's 20 years now. I'm getting tired. So God comes back to him. Genesis chapter 15. And he says, come out of the tent. He brings him outside. Genesis 15 verse 5. Look at it. He brought him outside. And he said, look now toward heaven. Count the stars if you're able to number them. And the Lord said, so shall your descendants be. And Abram believed in the Lord and he accounted it to him for righteousness. Again, lift up your eyes. What are you looking at? Well, I'm looking at my bills. I'm looking at my doctor's diagnosis. I'm looking at CNN. Constant negative news. 
I'm looking at MSNBC. More sad news. What are you looking at? What's that show where the kid used to say, what are you looking at? Uh, uh, some show. And, and it's a good question, isn't it? What are you looking at? Lift up your eyes. Look at what God has for you. Look at the promises of God. Look at the plans and purposes of God. Look at the opportunities before us in the Lord. Lift up your eyes. And sometimes you got to get out of your tent to see the stars. God said to Abram, come outside. You're living under that ceiling of negativity. You're living under that roof of limitations. You're living under what the world says can happen and what your parents said could happen and what your neighbor said could happen and what the negative world around you says can happen. I want you to come out here and lift up your eyes and see what I say can happen. Abram tried to count the stars. He says, God, there's too many stars. Think of it. Everywhere Abram looked, he was reminded of the promise of God. When he saw the land, promise of God, north, south, east, and west, all your children. When he saw the sky, the promises of God. Children numbered as the stars in the sky. Vision. Well, write your vision, the Bible says. Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 2. Write your vision. So I carry it with me everywhere that I go. I've just got pages of vision notes. Mission statements for my children and for my family. Mission for my church. Vision for departments and various aspects of ministry in the church. Vision and goals for this year, next year, years to come. Some vision I believe will happen this year. Some vision is going to take me all my life. I'm going to have to live about 120 to get all this stuff done. Now, you know why the average person dies? He's done living. I'm not trying to be harsh. I'm just saying the average person dies because they're done living. If you got motivation, if you got dreams and desires, you got places to go, people to see. I can't die. I'm too busy. <laughs> Where there is no vision, people die at about 55, 60, 65. Where there's great vision, people just take a lick and keep on ticking. Why? Because you stay fit, you stay healthy, you stay sharp, you stay engaged, you stay motivated. The devil can't catch you. Why? Because you're on your way somewhere. Start sitting around in your lazy boy chair, the devil won't climb in there with you. So, write the vision. Where are you going? Now, some people are afraid to have vision because they think, well, what if I'm wrong? Well, what if I say, I'm, I'm going to bleed for this, and then it doesn't happen, and the Lord has something else, and I didn't know the Lord's will. Listen, it's kind of like riding a bike. Just get it rolling, and you can steer it as you go. Right? It's like going on a road trip. You don't know every turn and every bend in the road, but you get the map, and you get headed in the right direction, and then maybe there's a detour, and maybe there's a... Hey, if the Lord needs to change my course, so be it. But I'd rather be going somewhere and let the Lord direct me than be going nowhere and have the Lord say, what the heck? 
Huh? And sometimes as pastors, we're saying, here's what we're going to do. And we're on our way. And then we realize, ooh, that was a little. So the Lord directs us. Don't get nervous with that. Well, the pastor changed his mind. Yeah, we're just hearing from God as we go. We're all hearing from God as we go. And we're doing our best. But if we make, make a little course adjustment, hey, just because you're on the freeway going north doesn't mean you don't have to make a little adjustment now and then. Unless you're one of them crazy drivers just driving by Braille. <laughs> right? So we keep making course adjustments as the vision comes clear. Look at Matthew chapter 6. Does this make sense to you? Yeah. Are, you getting, are you getting this tonight or are you just getting tired? You getting it? Matthew chapter 6, verse 22. Jesus said, the lamp of the body is the eye. The lamp of the body is the eye. What? What does that mean? If your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If, therefore, the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Now, obviously, he's not talking about our natural, physical body. He's talking about our being, our life. And he says, if your vision is good, your life will be full of light. Light means blessing. Light means the presence of God. Light is the provisions of God. But he said, if your eye is dark, if your vision is negative, your whole life is full of darkness. You always say, well, I can't get a job. I'll never get the bills paid. I'll never catch up. It's not going to work for me. I know it works for you, but it never works for me. I'm not lucky like you are. It's not luck. Your vision is your future. And if you keep talking about what won't work and what you can't do, and you'll never catch up, and you'll never get ahead, and you're just going to have to suffer and struggle then that's what you'll have. And your vision is coming to pass, isn't it? Your negative, poor, sick, sad, sorry vision. Have you ever heard someone, when something bad happens, they say, I knew it was going to happen. Of course they did. They had a vision for it. Some people will even say it out loud. I told you that was going to happen. See, they were using their faith on purpose. Why use your vision and your faith for negative stuff? Just shift. Just shift it over to the promise of God. I'm going to use my faith and have a vision for godly things, for positive things, for blessing in all things. Your eye is the light of your life. Keep your eyes focused on the right things. And church, I realize it's not easy. I, I think maybe you look at me or pastors and, and you say, well, yeah, but you don't know what I've been through. Sheesh, you don't know what I've been through. You want to have a war of worry? You want to see who's got more stress, more troubles, more problems? I got 12,000 problems. All my members. I got three kids on our staff. How do you fire your own kids? And my wife. 
I leave the office mad at the staff. I get home and there's the staff. Dang. They got staff infection. Right? So I could just be negative and angry and upset and worried and drama and trauma with everyone, including my mama. She's a member of the church. Right? My mama comes walking. I'm like, oh, Lord, here we go. So all of us have to decide, I'm going to keep my eyes focused on the right things. The devil's yelling at you. The world's yelling at you. Your crazy neighbor's yelling at you. Your, your own natural challenges are yelling at you. You've got to keep your eyes on the prize. got to keep your eyes on the promises of God, the purposes of God, the vision that God gave you. That's where I'm focused. That's where I'm going. And I'm not going to look at all this other stuff because my vision is my future. You want, if you got it, give the Lord a hand clap. Amen. All right, third essential. Number one is faith. Number two is vision. Third essential is renewal. Renewal. Now, in Genesis chapter 12, God says to Abraham, you're going to have to get out of your father's house away from your father, your family, and, and even this place. You can't even stay in the same place. You've got to go to a new land that I'll show you. And Abraham had to renew everything about his life. And Abraham went through that two or three times. One time God asked him, after he finally got the son, to sacrifice the son. Whew, that was a shift. That was a renewal process. Now it's not about this boy. It's about trusting God. So again, renewing his life. Renewing his mind. You and I have got to be able to renew our mind and renew our lives. You see, we are predestined to be like Jesus. Now, none of us are there yet. Pastor Dan's close. Most of us got a ways to go. Actually, Pastor Laura is closer. <laughs> but the rest of us got a ways to go. So how are we going to become more like Jesus if we're not willing to renew our mind and renew our life? If we can't change, then we start resisting the process of God. We start resisting the leading of the Lord. Because every season the Lord's leading us We've got to renew. We've got to make changes. It's, it's like a child going through grades in school. They've got to keep growing. They, gotta, they can't do in fifth grade what they did in first grade. In first grade, we just laughed and said, well, they'll get over it. In fifth grade, we got problems. They've got to keep growing. They've got to keep renewing. And so it is with you and I. We can't get stuck and say, well, this is the way I am. Well, yeah, it is the way you are now. But is it going to be the way you are the rest of your life? Well, you just got to take me for the, for way, the way I am. Well, why can't I take you for the way God wants you to be? Because he created you to be conformed to the image of Jesus. 
Now, sure, you have your own personality, you have your own style, but there's some funk in the mix of that that needs to be washed by the water of the Word. And that's the part we need to renew. So don't fight for the way you are. Fight for the way you can be. Don't say to your spouse, you need to love me like I am. No, say to your spouse, let's grow together. Let's be changed together. Let's be renewed together. Now, Paul wrote in Romans chapter 12 and verse 2. Romans 12, 2. Do not be conformed to the world. And he said that to the church, didn't he? Church folks, don't be like the world. Don't be gossipers like the world. Don't get a funky attitude like the world. Don't be self-centered like the world. Don't have the behavior and attitudes of the world. Okay, how do I do that? Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Part of Christianity is not just spiritual. It's renewing the mind. Becoming like Jesus means renewing your mind. And what will happen? You'll have the good, the acceptable, and the perfect will of God. What stops most people from having God's will in their life? The devil? No, an unrenewed life. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You'll enter into the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. When you stop renewing your mind, you resist renewal. You say, that's the way I am, and this way I'm going to stay. Baptist born, Baptist bred, Baptist dead. I don't know what that means. I heard someone say it, though. All right, you're done. Stick a fork in it. You're done. Why? Because you won't change. So what can God do with you? We might as well baptize you over and hold you down. You're just taking up space now. But if we keep learning, we keep growing, we say, God's not done with me. I got a vision. I got a future. I'm on my way. I'm willing to change and grow. Now, I stay fresh, I stay flourishing, and I stay in the good, the acceptable, and the perfect will of God. So we've all got to be able to renew. Now, when you're young, you know, you got to learn, you got to grow, you're going to college, so forth, and change is a lot easier. I'm 56 right now. It's harder to say, okay, I'm going to change that. Because I want to act like I already know. I want to act like I pretty much know everything, right? The older we get, the harder it is to say, all right, I'm going to change. I'm going to renew my mind. Abram was 75 years old, and he changed everything to walk with God. And we know that 80-some percent of people who get saved in the world today get saved before they're 20. What does that mean? Once you're over 20, it's hard to change. It's hard to shift your life course. Well, even for those of us who are Christians, we've got to decide, I'm going to keep learning. I'm going to keep... Are you done? Are you finished? Is this it? You've shot your best shot. You've done your best you'll ever do. You've peaked at 22, 32, 42. No. No. Not done. 
not finished, haven't seen my best days yet. My best days are ahead of me. Why? Because I'm still renewing my mind. Can I give you one more scripture? Colossians chapter 3. Look over there. Colossians chapter 3. If you are risen with Christ, verse 1, if you're a Christian, if you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Well, how do I do that? How do I seek the things of God? Verse 2, set your mind on things above not on things on the earth. Now, that doesn't mean just walking around and think about heaven all the time. That means whatever you're doing, think from a godly perspective. I'm with my wife. How does God want me to treat my wife? I'm on the job. How does God want me to treat my employer or my employees? I'm at church. How does God want me to act at church? I'm setting my mind on things above. I keep a godly perspective about everything that I'm doing. And and every now and then I stop myself and I go, Woo, I'm not setting my mind in the right place right now. Right? Because I get into the the drum. Maybe I get depressed or discouraged about something. And I start whining about something. I'm throwing on my little pity party. You have a little pity party. You invited all your friends and you're the only one that showed up. So you're just having your own little pity. Poor me. I got problems no one else has. And I got issues no one understands. And nobody, nobody knows the troubles I bear. Right? Just so in your little pity party. And then I say to myself, okay, where am I setting my mind right now? Where have I set my mind right now? You ever seen someone walking down the mall with a big old piece of gum on their bottom? And you say, ooh, they sat in the wrong place. Where did you set your mind yesterday? Because you might have a big old piece of something (laughs) stuck on your brain because you keep setting it on the wrong things. We set it on our depressions. We set it on our discouragements. We set it on our failures or on our mistakes, on our regrets. We all have regrets. We all have things that didn't go the way we want them to do. And if you set your mind there, you'll get stuck. You'll get stuck right there. But if you seek the things of God, you set your mind on a godly attitude. Say, you know what? I'm going to forgive myself for that mistake. If God can forgive me, I can forgive me. I got too much to do to focus on my mistakes. I got too much to do to get caught up in my regrets. I got life to live. I got no energy to waste on feeling bad and worrying about my past. I'm moving on to my future. Set your mind on things above. Set your mind on a godly perspective. Set your mind on a biblical perspective way of thinking, and you'll keep moving toward blessed in all things, the blessed life in all things. One last passage here in Colossians 3, verse 10. Put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge. Renewed in knowledge. So we keep studying our Bibles. We keep showing up for church. 
We keep hearing even things we've heard before. We hear it in a new way. Why? Because we're being renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. In other words, we're renewed into the image of Jesus. We start seeing ourselves as God wants us to see us. And that's how we move into it. So the first essential is faith. We walk with God from faith to faith. The second is vision. When we close our eyes, we see more than we can when our eyes are open. And the third is renewal. We're not there yet, but we're on our way. We're making changes. We're renewing our mind, and we're entering into the good, the acceptable, and the perfect will of God. If you believe it, give him a hand clap right now. Come on. Come on, clap your hands. All you people. Can we pray about a couple things before we go? I just want to add my faith to yours because I feel like all of us have some things in the past that could sabotage our future. Maybe it's the divorce. Maybe it's the bankruptcy. Maybe it's the I wish I woulda, I shoulda, I coulda, the regret. And let's just decide my past will not sabotage my future. If I did make a mistake, God forgives me, I forgive myself. If, if I did miss it, it wasn't because I was trying to. I just missed it. So God's going to help me and move me forward. You know the thing about God? It's never too late. God, the Bible says, will take all things... And use them for your good. Even your failures, even your problems, even the disasters, God can turn those things and just cause them to work out for your good. God never wanted me to be a drug addict, to be strung out as a teenager, but he just said, I'm going to put that into the mix. And he used that to get me saved and get me into school and get me into ministry and get me where I am. So I'm not going to regret those days. I'm just going to say God uses all things for his good. Amen? So let's close our eyes together. You have some regrets. Or you got some past that might be trying to sabotage your future. Why don't you just lift up a hand toward heaven? We're going to reach out to God tonight. First of all, if you have never done it, I want you to consciously purposefully forgive yourself. And then we're going to use our faith on purpose. We're going to say, God, thank you for moving me forward. My future is bright. My vision is stronger than my memories.